even though we don't know what the path of recovery really looks like in the very short term, we know that demand will come back once economies open. And that means that you are now able to buy those assets, to buy those companies at much cheaper valuation than you were able to, for example, at the start of the year. And this is everywhere in the equity space. It is not particularly only in emerging markets or only in small cap or only in large cap. Actually, the opportunities for an active manager are now everywhere. That was Hadir Cooper. And this is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and I'd like to welcome you to episode nine of season two of Streaming Income. Throughout the season, we'll be bringing you in-depth conversations with experts on asset classes like EM debt, high yield, equities, real estate, and more. We know that markets are moving quickly right now. So if you'd like to receive our latest insights as soon as they become available, you can subscribe to the show by searching Streaming Income on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So on today's show, I spoke with Dr. Hadir Cooper, Global Head of Equities here at Barings. In the conversation, we spoke about the emergence of the COVID-19 crisis and how that has really rippled through equity markets. We talked about the impact of the crisis on corporate earnings and on equity valuations. We also discussed areas of growth where Hadir and team are finding opportunities today, specifically with companies that are capitalizing on disruptive technologies and demographic changes, and how COVID-19 may or may not be playing a role. And finally, we discussed the impact of the crisis on how investors are considering issues like climate change and ESG more broadly. With that, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Hadir Cooper. All right, Hadir Cooper, welcome to Streaming Income. I am so excited to have you here today joining me uh, from London. So I hope that you and your family are staying safe and healthy throughout all this turmoil. Thank you, and I'm excited to be here. Great. So, you know, we're all working from home. You and I are both doing this podcast, obviously, today remotely from our own homes. You and your team have been working from home for about a month now, given the COVID-19 crisis. So maybe let's just start there. I'm curious to hear how that's going. I'm wondering kind of what's been most challenging for you uh, from this setup. And, you know, even if there's been any positive surprises from the new arrangement. What's been the most positive uh, about the arrangement is the fact that we have been able to work seamlessly from home. All the teams have been able to carry on doing what they have been been doing all the way through via working from home. So, for example, off-site visits to companies have been moved to being conference calls and team meetings that have been done in person. Physical is moved to virtual. Everything seems to have worked absolutely fine. Mm. And let's remember the team is already global and some parts of the team have gone into this even earlier than we did. So we've got colleagues in Asia that have gone into uh, lockdown and working from home for months now and it's right. been very well tried and tested. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. We've been lucky at, at Bearings. I feel like our IT team has has done an incredible job. I feel like it's been pretty seamless for 
for everyone. So that that sounds like it's working well. What is there anything that's been more challenging from the whole setup? Of course, I'm much more excited about working with colleagues where you can see them and you can talk to them and you're in the same physical location because that means that some parts of the business can be done really easily, i.e. walking to their desks or having a conversation by the coffee machine, etc. And part of the business being done that way makes it feel less of business being done. You don't even notice it. Now everything needs to be organized. And that to me has been what will be welcome when we get back to the office. I totally agree. I feel like that's what I miss the most is just these sort of ad hoc you know, running into people uh, at the coffee machine or, you know, we've got a similar setup in London and in Charlotte where we've got cafeterias in the building where, you know, I remember the last time I was in London walking into the cafeteria, running into you, running into, you know, our head of real estate research, running into some of our salespeople. So that's, that. I agree, that's kind of what I miss the most and I'll look forward to, to getting back to. Yes, a bit of productivity. Okay, so let's turn our attention to today's markets, and let's talk about how COVID-19 is impacting uh, equity markets. And maybe let's start, here, if you wouldn't mind, by just rewinding for a minute. Um, and if you can explain to us how this crisis has played out to date from an equity market perspective, that would be great. So what COVID-19 impacts on equity markets really started in China at the start of the year when China reported the cases and reported their response to it. And what we worried about then was supply shocks and some demand challenges because we thought it was shorter term. However, that migrated into much more worries about global economy when the cases started spreading in Europe and the United States. And what started as a supply shock became demand synchronized demand destruction at that in countries across the world. Additionally, we had a shock from oil markets with oil falling very, very strongly, particularly in March, as demand was being destroyed while supply was actually being increased. That has now changed. That meant that companies who were worried about their business model and their ability to repay their debt were conserving cash markets started falling very, very quickly. Risky assets fell as investors started worrying about the impact that will happen on corporate earnings, but also as liquidity moving into much less riskier assets was the name of the game. And the game changer of all of this was the synchronized action that we have seen starting from China at the start, but also following on from the Fed and government's where the government undertook to alleviate some of the worries for companies for the effect of uh, the cash flows on the virus, but also stepping in and helping in terms of markets and providing liquidity to the markets in order to be able to contain some of the negative downside of this COVID-19 crisis until markets open. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great refresh on how we got here. So maybe let's fast forward to today. So tell me just what you're thinking right now around valuations in equity markets. And, and maybe I'm curious how you would think about these relative to past periods of extreme volatility as well. well as a true active manager, when we have volatility in markets, we go out and find the best assets for our clients. And that means 
our analysis of where the companies are in their economic cycle, on their balance sheet, in their growth cycle, how they're managed, and whether there is particularly a good chance for us to be able to buy those companies that we have confidence in, in terms of their franchise, in terms of their outlook at the right valuation. We've had plenty of that opportunity in in March, and that's what we've been doing for our clients and our portfolios. We doubled our efforts because of the volatility. It means that your points for being able to enter into some of those long-term growth assets would come in very, very quickly. So synchronized sell-off that comes from market fear for an active manager is an opportunity to rebalance portfolios for your clients in the companies that you think are going to be providers of long-term performance. Coupled with the fact that this is unprecedented, what we have seen uh, as a shock in the markets and the oil markets at the same time meant that the assumptions in, in models and assumptions about growth had to be revised very quickly. And in fact, you can see from uh, market participants' point of view, you can see that earnings expectations have come down very quickly in the short period of time between February and March. We're now seeing companies already reporting, talking about how uncertain in terms of their thinking about the next three months or the short term, but actually where we see that there is an opportunity for a recovery going forward. So even though we don't know what the path of recovery really looks like in the very short term, we know that demand will come back once economy is open. And that means that you are now able to buy those assets, to buy those companies at much cheaper valuation than you were able to, for example, at the start of the year. And this is everywhere in the equity space. It is not particularly only in emerging markets or only in small cap or only in large cap. Mm -hmm. Actually, the opportunities for an active manager are now everywhere. Hmm. Interesting. So if you think about how you and your team approach some of these opportunities, so you uh, implement a growth at a reasonable price or GARP investment style across a variety of strategies, including some of the ones that you just mentioned. So given that you're focused on finding companies from a bottom-up perspective that can capitalize on segments of growth in the global economy, I'm curious if you could tell me where, if anywhere actually right now, you're seeing growth accelerate. And I guess more specifically, where you might expect to see growth as we move through and hopefully come out of this crisis at some point? Very good question. So I can segment that into three separate ways of of thinking about it. First of all, what is already in train, i.e. what we have already been observing about markets and companies and trends that those companies are taking advantage of going forward. Mm -hmm. Opportunities that have come out from actually where we are now and a change in behavior of both the consumer and companies. And thirdly, the whole idea of disruption and disruptive technologies and where we're heading going forward. Mm -hmm. So let's take the first one, which is where we have already been observing a lot of a potential for companies to be able to take advantage of. And that is a situation where we have seen in, for example, in emerging markets, where we see that um, urbanization trends are accelerating, 
that 89% of the world population will be in those emerging economies by the time you hit 2050. And in fact, in the next 10 years or so, you have a massive acceleration in, in middle class, in millennial spending, and that is all happening in sort of Asia and Africa and in emerging markets. Mm-hmm. And you and your team have written on some of those trends in the past, I recall, as well. Yes, we have. So this is something that has been at the forefront of what we are thinking about um, in terms of what we put in our clients' portfolios, either in emerging companies that take advantage of that, but also in developed market companies that are exposed to those particular trends. Now, we think this is a disruption that is happening in the short term, but the long-term growth of companies that are exposed to those growth trends will carry on. So we're talking about, for example, in case of emergence of middle class, as um, consumers in the middle class in the emerging markets are moving more and more towards middle class as they're taking advantage of all what middle class people do, which is buying more financial services, heading for better health care, buying more insurance products, actually investing and therefore looking for wealth management. And companies that are exposed to that are companies that we like across a variety of our portfolios. Secondly, there are also other changes in terms of consumer behavior that are not to do with urbanization demographics, but have been in train also before, which is, for example, automation. And actually, we think that considering what COVID-19 means in terms of social distancing, etc., we think automation will accelerate. Sure. And that is something that you would need to um, invest in, but we, where we are looking at sort of industrials around the world to see what is the best companies that we can take into our clients' portfolios and take advantage of that. Hmm. Thirdly, consumption patterns. We all know that there has been a massive move towards e-commerce in emerging economies, but also adoption of e-commerce in developed markets. And we think that COVID-19 actually accelerates that. It changes consumer behavior to go more towards e-commerce. We see that across already, obviously, because we are all asked to stay at home. But also for us, that just means it's a proof of concept. It shows retailers where things are heading it accelerates what was happening, which is the demise of high street, more away from bricks and mortar, more towards delivery of services to your door. So that's something else that we believe that's going to continue to happen and where consumption patterns will be changed. I can tell you that, that the, the number of Amazon.com boxes that are on my porch every day can confirm the acceleration at the Campion House, but it sounds like across broader markets as well. It's globally. It's both in emerging markets and it is in developed markets. So it's something that we are observing and we think that will continue. But also there's other disruptive technologies that we think are going to carry on happening, but also accelerating. For example, if you think about digital payments, if you think about testing equipment to ensure that you have a food supply chain that is clear and clean, all of these kind of trends that we were seeing would and should accelerate going forward. So for us, looking for companies that are taking advantage of those changes, are enablers for those changes, so they are mm. disruptive technologies, are ones that we are looking for and adding to our client portfolios. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense, and, and those seem to be trends that you all have been talking about for years, but it makes a lot of sense to me that I think w- some of what we're seeing today is 
is acting more as an accelerant than anything else. And obviously, I think you and your team are, are, are not investing just broadly in trends, but are looking for the companies from a bottom-up perspective who are best at capitalizing on some of these areas of growth. Yes, thank you, Greg, for pointing that out. Every company that we put in our clients' portfolios is a company that's been researched by our investment teams that look at analyzing the actual trends that are there around the company, but also the company itself, its uh, franchise. Are they able to capitalize on those trends? Are they able to be the leaders or the consolidators of that trend? Do they have any particular competitive advantage that will ensure that they are the winners of something that is happening now globally? Do they have the balance sheets to be able to fund it? Do they have the management structures? Do they have the ability to look after me as a minority shareholder? And we do that for every single company that we've been talking about. But sort of going back to your original question about short-term versus long-term, there's clearly now a lot of companies that will look better than others in the short-term because we are all having to stay at home and we all have to go much more into the digital economy, but also in terms of entertainment. So you get companies are engaged in uh, video games, Mm -hmm. companies that provide that sort of service are going to clearly have profits in the short term that are higher than your expectations. So even though we thought these trends were on train for them to happen already over the longer term, we, we see acceleration in that. But that also means that there will be demise of other traditional entertainment mm-hmm. spaces. So spending advertising on TV, things like that will come off very quickly and the companies are able to advertise online that are that capture the eyes are going to be companies that would take advantage of that and, and will grow faster than we initially were expecting. So there are also therefore clean winners in the companies that uh, provide the infrastructure for this. Oh, we're talking about cloud, we're talking about digital providers, we're talking about internet security, but also the foundries and the chip designers and makers that go for those sophisticated chips that enable you to do the video gaming and everything else. So that for us, we've been very hard looking at those companies and looking at companies that have really lost very little in terms of their long-term investment case, but lost valuation because of the market sell-offs. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting that some of these at-home entertainment options are just taking off. I think you know Netflix is an example of a stock that's been breaking out to new highs. I think video games have been really interesting to see. Uh, you know, I've seen some some statistics, and I'm sure your team has much more insight than I do around you know video game uh, playing just really taking off. There's a global shortage of Nintendo Switch which I only know because I was uh, dying to get one for my kids, but apparently uh, the options are pay something like $500 for it or wait a few months. So I chose the latter. But uh, that that kind of, I think, proves your point. I mean, I think there's some challenges, obviously, and there's some question marks around you know, when we do hopefully get back to something that looks more like normal, do we continue to see these trends? You've got, you know, company-specific challenges, or, you know, you think about something like Netflix where, okay, once all of us watch all the content on there and, uh, you know, there's a problem with future content because obviously they're not able to produce a whole lot right now, so that could be an issue going forward. But I think it just kind of goes back to, to proving your point originally around, 
some of these trends that have been in place and happening for a long time and that you and your team have been talking about for years, it seems like, if anything, what we're seeing is, is an acceleration of some of these right now. Let's put it this way. We at Bearings, as you said, look for growth reasonable price. So we are able to forecast earnings for the next five years at least in order to see if the valuation of the company actually reflects those five years earnings or potential for the company going forward. So we're not short-termist. Whether that is for actually companies that have been taking advantage of the short-term or actually maybe not because they wanted to take advantage, they're just thriving because of the short-term issues that the global economy is facing. When we actually buy and sell those companies, we look at them on a longer-term basis and we look at whether those companies are still reasonably priced because we think growth reasonable price is the right is the right way of looking at those companies. Now, if you are asking me whether there are some trends that might slow down that we were seeing for years, for example, global, globalization of supply chains or if there is anything like that that might be disrupted, we already were seeing some of those changes in the last couple of years happening, whether it is, for example, China looking for cheaper manufacturing facilities in China, companies offshoring out of China because of what's happening with the U.S.-China uh, relations, automation. We've seen some of the companies that we really like actually taking manufacturing facilities out of China into ASEAN. We've also seen quite a lot of changes that are happening in the world in terms of ESG, emissions, etc., taking us to a change in the way that we are doing business and looking at business and understanding how going forward, which companies, what liabilities companies have. These will continue and these kind of outlooks and considerations will continue to be a factor that we have to think about and react to all the time. I think there will be some changes, permanent changes coming out of this, particularly as companies and governments realize that they need to have a lot more of the intellectual capital or need some healthcare needs to be closer to home. But I don't think that the actual globalization will go into complete reversal. I think there will be some questions about what needs to be onshored and what needs to be offshored. And we are, with our large team, very able to analyze that for the companies that we, we look after. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Let's talk about ESG for a minute. Uh, I know it's something that you and your team have an extremely robust framework on that you've been implementing for years. And frankly, we should probably do a separate podcast on that topic alone. But I'm curious how this crisis and the potential economic fallout that we're seeing may impact some of the ESG trends that have really you know, gained a ton of momentum in recent years. So as an example, if you think about something like climate change, which is obviously a huge problem, something that's a long-term problem, but that we're seeing real short-term evidence of it, is that something that investors may have to focus less on right now if they're worried more about things like the survival of companies? You know, is there a danger, I guess, that ESG could take a back seat? in the near term? How, how are you thinking about some of the issues like climate change? For us, ESG is actually integrated in the way that we look at companies and we actually make a decision about whether a company is 
a good company, we consider ESG factor for our evaluation and valuation of the companies. For us, it's integral. And I think this is the most important thing. It doesn't mean that we are following trends. It doesn't mean that we think these are trends that we need to take advantage of. What we're saying here is that we're looking at ESG in terms of whether a company's business model is sustainable, whether it is management structures uh, looking after its employees, making sure that the governance structures are correct. So looking after the people planet and fair play are integral to what the company does. So for us, ESG isn't just an add-on. It isn't something that we have decided to do because it's a trend. It actually affects the way we evaluate and value business model resiliency, supply chains, security, looking after minority shareholders, all of that going forward and for our clients' assets. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we don't think that climate change is something that can be, or thinking about climate change or thinking about emissions is something that can be reversed. I think it is integral to how the whole world is thinking. After all, why people worry about climate change is worrying about the health of the planet and potential future liabilities in companies that need to clean the atmosphere. So for us, it continues to be what we are looking at and what we are going to do. And in fact, Bering's just signed even more agreements with Climate 100 in order for us to be able to be a driver of that change. So ESG considerations, factors, are part and parcel of how we look at companies and how we analyze them and how we fundamentally find their value. For us, that doesn't change. Now, are you saying that companies that are looking for survival in terms of cash flow will cut non-essential, quote-unquote, stuff in the short period of time? I think that will happen everywhere as companies that are strapped for cash. But mm-hmm. for companies that are the sort of companies that we look for, this is not a trend. This is part of managing their business. And therefore, we don't think that these kind of considerations actually will go backward. That makes a ton of sense. It's so integral to everything at this point that it's not something you can kind of turn on and turn off. Okay, so here I, I would like to just finish up here by actually asking you for just a bit of guidance. So you've personally invested through a number of crises. You know, you've seen plenty of volatility and distress in the markets, whether it was the telecom bubble in uh, 01, 02, whether it was the GFC in 08, 09, and, and others. With all that knowledge and perspective and experience, what parting words would you offer here to our listeners as they kind of think about navigating equity markets in the weeks, months, and even years ahead? Okay, it's a very good question because actually while the market remains focused on the short-term impact of the coronavirus as well as declines in the oil price, etc., we at Bearings, we continue to manage those risks from our holdings in higher quality companies with resilient balance sheets, robust cash flows, even at the sort of lower commodity prices. We also uh, look for strong management teams that can navigate companies out of those positions. While we continue to look at these market conditions or monitor those unfolding market conditions, we will continue to adjust our portfolios to reflect the longer term nature of how we look at companies and the bottom-up fundamental analysis that we do in order to identify attractive entry points for those companies where 
the long-term earnings are what drives the returns for those companies. So despite the near-term challenges posed by those sort of risks that we have been talking about, where the whole world is talking about actually the opportunity for buying the longer term at a cheaper price presents itself now. And that's why we're remaining vigilant for our clients. At the end of the day, what will happen, and anybody who tells you how we're going to get out of this is probably not really truthful, what we'll get out of this, whether a vaccine is found, whether there's enough antibody tests, whether we get more immunity just in the community, we will get out of this. And when we return to something closer to normal, then we will find that all of those risks are priced in and you have to be in the right risky assets where you will get the higher return in the right companies that will take advantage of the longer term investment case or the longer term stories that we've been talking about. And that should drive equity prices. That's great context. Just a reminder on, you know, focusing on the long term and looking at you know, what risky assets have delivered over very long time periods. So I think I think you and your team, that's obviously ingrained into your process in terms of, you know, thinking very long term. I know that you and the team are building models that are that go out five years plus. And, and so you're always thinking long term. But I think right now, given that everyone is, you know, so focused on the day-to-day headlines, I, I think that's just a great reminder to take a step back and, and to focus on on the long term. So thank you for that, Adir. And thank you so much for joining me today. I know things are crazy and you've got a, a lot on your plate. So I appreciate you stepping away for a minute and, and joining me today on this podcast. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for uh, letting me have the opportunity of actually talking about something which I'm very passionate about, which is that volatility and markets always give opportunities for active investors. And I hope everybody's family stays safe. Just a quick note that Hadir and team have published a ton of great written pieces recently on topics ranging from small cap equities to ASEAN equities to dividend strategies, etc. Also a really good deep dive on disruptive technologies. You can find all of that research at bearings.com. Thanks again for listening to episode nine of season two of Streaming Income. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you're the first to hear about our latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.